Thank you, Lynette. Thank you, Dave. I so appreciate the Bachmans and the leadership that they bring to our body. They both serve on our deacon team. I'm very grateful for them. Well, I'm talking about what I'm thankful for. I also want to just thank everyone here. Um, one of the, the things I often hear as a pastor when, when people come to visit Fellowship Nashville is they, they say, people said hi to me. People included me. People wanted to know about me. That's a common theme. And so I just want to commend you as a congregation for how friendly you make this place. Thank you for being hospitable. And every so often, the Surgeon General of the United States, who's our government's chief spokesman on matters of public health, issues an advisory to call our attention to an urgent public health issue. These public advisories from our nation's top official, um, or top doctor, are infrequent, but are designed to be a call to action, urging the American people to pay close attention to a critical health challenge that requires immediate attention. For instance, about a century ago, smoking was considered to be a glamorous habit rather than a harmful one with deadly consequences. And following decades of research linking smoking to cancer, Dr. Luther Terry, who served as Surgeon General under LBJ, issued a public health advisory about the dangers of smoking. And part of the response to that public advisory had put all the warnings on the tobacco packages. In 1972, Dr. Jesse Steinfeld, the Surgeon General under President Nixon, called for appropriate and immediate remedial action with a report that found a uniformly adverse effect on children who watched televised violence. In 1986, Dr. C. Everett Koop, serving as Surgeon General under President Ronald Reagan, issued a public health advisory about the HIV virus, calling people to take action to protect themselves from the risk factors that were contributing to the AIDS crisis in our country and around the world. Three years later, in 1989, that same Surgeon General, Dr. Koop, issued an advisory calling for tough new blood alcohol, levers, blood alcohol level standards for drivers because over 25,000 people died that year in drunken driving-related incidents. As a result of that report and the laws that followed afterwards, fatalities from drunken driving have decreased by about half, a little bit more than half. Since then, there have been public health advisories on obesity, e-cigarettes, social media use among adolescents, opioid use, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. You've probably all heard about these advisories, but have you heard about the one that was released just four months ago? It was from our current Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy. I don't know if I pronounced his name right, but... But this one has largely flown under the radar. I'm not really sure why. Perhaps it doesn't sound as ominous as the other ones. But we would do well to pay close attention to it. Dr. Murthy's health, health advisory is an 82-page report entitled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation. The advisory cites statistics showing that across age groups, people are spending significantly less time with each other in person, face-on-face -face interactions than they were two decades ago. And this change is most profound in young people aged 15 to 24, 
who now have 70% less social interaction with their friends. While the quality or the quantity of our social connections has gone up exponentially with the, the onrise of social media or the outset of social media, the, so quality or quantity has gone up. At the same time, the quality has gone down of our social connections. And what I found fascinating as I read this 82-page report, I skimmed some of it, I'll be honest, um, was a profound connection between healthy relationships and physical well-being. Near the beginning of the report, Dr. Murthy writes this, loneliness is far from being just a bad feeling. It harms both our individual and societal health. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day, and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical inactivity. The physical consequences of poor connection can be devastating, including a 29% increase in the risk of heart disease, a 32% increase in the risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of developing dementia in older adults. In other words, relationship matters. Hold that thought. Well, thank you for coming to worship with us here at Fellowship Nashville. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here. And I have the privilege of being your tour guide through Scripture this morning. And if you've been around our church for very long, you know that we make a habit of what we call expositional teaching. That means that we let the Bible speak for itself rather than speaking about our ideas about the Bible. Because quite frankly, I'm not gifted enough to come up with my own ideas every week. But also because we want to avoid the temptation of skipping the hard parts, skipping the parts of the Bible that confront our cultural sensibilities. So our expository teaching typically looks like going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible, explaining its cultural context, letting the text speak for itself. But every so often, we're going to hit the pause button on going book by book through the Bible and take a look at what the Bible says about a particular topic, which is what we're in the middle of doing right now in this four-part sermon series, which we've entitled, after one of our values, Relationship matters, following Jesus in community. Here's the deal. We don't really need the Surgeon General or the government to tell us that relationship matters. Although we respect what this and value what the Surgeon General does for our culture, for our society, for our country, we as Bible-reading Christians shouldn't need him to issue us a report to convince us that community is important. Why not? Well, because the Bible itself teaches us that we were created for relationships. We were created for community. If you hear last week, um, you heard Pastor Ryan reference the doctrine of the Trinity and how God has always existed in eternal community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternal, intimate relationship. Therefore, to be created in the image of our triune God means that we were created for what? For Community for relationship. It's no surprise that the Surgeon General is discovering, even from a secular sociological perspective, that humans simply don't flourish apart from social connection, apart from healthy community. The Bible implicitly teaches us that fact from the very beginning. God created us in his 
image. And he's a relational God. That's why relationship is one of our 12 stated values as a church here at Fellowship Nashville. It's also why last year we hired uh, Ryan Dowdy to come serve in our body to spearhead our discipleship efforts by way of cultivating community, cultivating opportunities to connect in things like city groups. Because when it comes to spiritual growth, while others can't do it for you, you can't do it alone. And as Ryan has gotten his feet underneath him here in his new role of the past year, he's developed a ministry strategy that frames up how we plan to engage in community as a church body. We're calling it the M1231 strategy, and it's patterned after how Jesus did community. Now, before I dive into what M1231 means, I want to pause and let you know why I'm speaking today or teaching today. Uh, Instead of having Ryan lead us through this ministry strategy that he's developed and is implementing in our body. Many of you know that in 2019, uh, Pastor Ryan lost his wife, Tammy, to a battle with cancer. Well, today, September 24th, marks the fourth anniversary of her passing. Tomorrow will be her birthday. Earlier this week, Ryan confided in me and the rest of the staff team that grief has been hitting him and his boys particularly hard this year. Grief is funny like that. It comes in waves. You don't know when it's going to hit. And so Ryan made plans to get away with Ethan and Karsten for the weekend to help them process their grief together. And while he's away, I want to ask a couple of things of you as the body of Christ here at Fellowship Nashville. First, would you be praying for Ryan and his boys? Would you be praying? Commit yourself to lifting them up before our Lord. And secondly, would you put hands and feet to your prayers? And as the body of Christ, come around them and love them in the coming weeks. What could that look like? Well, a couple ideas. Reach out to Ryan. Ask if you can bring him and his boys a home-cooked meal. Sit down, take time to write a handwritten note of encouragement to them, letting them know that you're praying for them, that they are loved, they're not alone. You know, those are just a couple of my own ideas. Feel free to come up with your own. You might be able to come up with better ones. But as the body of Christ called to care for one another, let's surround the dowdies with the love of Jesus this week. Okay, back to M1231. If you look at the first four books of the New Testament, we call them the Gospels because they tell the good news, that's what gospel means, good news about who Jesus is, what he came to do. If you look at the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus modeled community and he modeled engagement in community in four different spheres. First, there was the multitude. That's what the M stands for in this ministry strategy. Jesus regularly declared good news to the crowds, to the multitudes, telling them that the kingdom of God was here. It's coming in its fullness. And guess what? I'm the king. I'm talking as Jesus, not me. Um, Jesus is the king. He regularly spread that message with crowds of people. One great example of that is the sermon series that we put on pause to do this little mini-series, which was what? The Sermon on the Mount. We're going verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to get back to that in a couple weeks. But there is an example of Jesus addressing the multitudes with the good news, declaring the gospel. You know, Jesus interacting with the multitudes is particularly noticeable in the Gospel of Mark. 
a book I'm fond of. A fun exercise sometimes to go through the, the first three chapters of the Gospel of Mark and circle how many times crowds or multitudes are mentioned. Homework project if you want to, want to do something fun after church. Go through the first three chapters and just circle the times that crowds, crowds, crowds are mentioned over and over again. So in light of this, part of our ministry strategy here at Fellowship Nashville will be to continue to gather corporately to declare the good news about Jesus and his kingdom and the fact that he's coming again to make all things new and his kingdom will come in its fullness someday. We look forward to that and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But going back to chapter 3 of the book of Mark, against the backdrop of the narrative talking about crowds, 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 you get to a verse in the middle of chapter 3. Crowds, 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 then we read this, Mark 3, 14. And he chose 12 that they might be what? With him. He chose 12 that they might be with him. Not only did Jesus declare the gospel to the multitudes, he intentionally drew in a smaller group for the purpose of calling them into deeper relationship and discipleship. So because of this example from the life and ministry of Jesus, our ministries, such as city groups, were designed to draw us into kingdom life together as we experience and share with God's love within the context of a smaller group of people. Ryan has covered these first two spheres of community the M and the 12 over the past two weeks, which now brings us to what? The three. You know, a careful observer of Jesus' life will also notice a couple places in the Gospels where Jesus spent additional deep, deeper time with Peter, James, and John, three of his disciples. These three seem to, have a for, seem to form a smaller group within the larger group of, larger small group of the disciples. These three were the ones that Jesus invited into the deepest places of relational intimacy with him because you'll, if you look at those instances of where he invited them to spend extra time with him, you'll notice something. One is to share the moment of his greatest joy and triumph. You know what that was? It was at the transfiguration where they go up a mountain and he's transfigured. Basically, he's able to show his glory. Yes, indeed, I am the son of God. The other moment was at a place of great personal pain and anxiety and stress. You know what that was? It was the night before his death. He invited Peter, James, and John to come a little further with him into the garden, to pray with him, to stay up with him. Be with me, guys. He invited them into places of relational intimacy. So as Ryan is working on patterning our patterning, you get it, our discipleship ministry strategy after how Jesus engaged in community, he's also working on how to best implement and call people into what we're calling three spaces. Now don't get hung up on the number three, but these are the spaces where we become both deeply known and know others deeply in community. So that we can share each other's joys, share each other's sorrows, and genuinely, freely, and safely speak the truth of the gospel into each other's lives. Encouraging each other to deepen our relationship with Jesus. So we plan to declare 
in the multitude, draw people towards spiritually formative community in 12 spaces like city groups, and deepen our walk with Jesus in these three spaces. One of Ryan's ideas for these three spaces might, um, could look like going forward smaller groups of um, men or women within city groups forming deeper community together. So intentional, gender-specific, smaller groups within our larger city groups. In the past, we've also used the curriculum follow in smaller groups designed to go deep and do heart work around the gospel as we learn to follow Jesus together. And Ryan's going to be working on fleshing out what this part of our ministry strategy looks like going forward. So that's what we mean when we talk about M1231 around here. And next week, Ryan's going to be back with us to wrap up our Relationship Matters series and talk about the one part of that strategy, specifically how we observe Jesus living in continual dependency on his Father. All right. All right now, I'm going to pause this monologue and do something that I'm not sure we've ever done in a Sunday morning service. Some of you are now getting nervous. Some of you are going to love this. You're called extroverts. Others are probably going to hate it. You're called introverts. And I'll probably get emails from both people this week, or both groups of people, but I'm going to do it anyway. And here's what we're going to do for the next 10 minutes. You each have a little card on your seat or somewhere around your seat. Um, There's some extras here on the front row and some extra pins if you need to come up here and get one. But what I like to do is shift from a monologue to a dialogue for about 10 minutes because I want you to see for yourselves from Scripture how important biblical community is to spiritual maturity and spiritual growth and transformation. So take the pieces of paper on your seats, turn to your neighbors in groups of two, three, four, five, and look up these two passages that we're going to put up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, and Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And for both of these passages, I'd like you to do two things. Well, actually, one thing, twice. I'd like for you to make two or three observations on each of these passages on how spiritual maturity is connected to community and dependent upon community. Okay? Go. I'll call you back together. Also, in your groups, have one person write it down. Afterwards, I'm going to give a few of you a chance to share what you found. All right? So, designate a spokesperson. (laughs) Not everybody will have a chance to share, so if you're all introverts in your group, you get a pass. Go. All right, let's come back together here. So, observations about the connection between deep community and spiritual health. I've got uh, Dave and Lynette here with microphones. And just real quick, let's pop up and I want you to share some, don't preach a sermon, okay, we, we don't have that much time, but share a quick observation from each of these texts. Who wants to go first? Just raise your hand, they'll come to you with the microphone. Don't point at your wife, Gabe. (laughs) Would you like for me to stand? Sure, go ahead and stand where you are. Okay. On 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27, we put, we are made to share each other's burdens. Uh, We are all created equally, but with different giftings. Uh, We can accomplish more together than apart. And then on Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Without community, there is no growth and accountability. Uh, In community, there is strength against the enemy. Good, good. Thanks, Steve. 
Over here, Dallas. Yeah, so looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 22 and 23, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that are, we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. So just this idea that in community we're able to treat the, the less dignified, the less honorable with special respect and special care, and that allows us to have a spiritual, healthy community. Great, thank you. Let's hear from at least two more. All right, back here, Hudson. I think from both, uh, it's called out that we have been custom made to fit together, that we are supposed to exceed the sum of our whole by working together with each other. Good, great, and great observation. David. And we had uh, two, uh, one was uh, when we honor, we honor God by honoring um, our fellow members, so it's not a competition. We honor, we want to say we love our Lord, we love our, our fellow members. Uh, and kind of go off what he was talking about was um, in verse 18, how it's God who arranged the body. I don't yeah. get to decide, oh, I'm going to be a foot today, or I'm going to be this. <laughs> it's God who arranges that. So it's the humility to accept our role and, and encourage each other with it. Good. Is there a lady spokesman in the congregation? One more. Yes, Caitlin. Um, I was just noticing that when you think about maturity, I teach high schoolers, so there's a lack of that sometimes, um, and <laughs> there can be um, a jealousy when you have other people on even a team that you're working with who are better than you, but I think a sign of spiritual maturity and health is seeing that we're working together on the same team, so even if someone is um, more evangelical than me or better at drawing people in than I am, and I'm good at having like one-on-one -on -one deep conversations, we're benefiting together, and so I don't have to be jealous of someone's outgoing personality or something like that, but I can celebrate that because it's we're all working on the same team, pulling people into the community of Christ. So, yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. You know, spiritual health, thank you, Dave and Lynette. Spiritual health is impossible without biblical community. These texts teach that we're one body. There are no unimportant parts, in other words. We all need each other. So unless we're intentionally making space to know others and be known in Christian community, we simply can't be what Jesus meant for us to become, a functioning, healthy body of believers that re represents him well in the world as the body of Christ. Where do people see Jesus today? They see it in us. They see him in us. If biblical community is so crucial for spiritual growth, We've got to pay attention to this. Have you ever thought about the fact that you, yes, you, are God's gift to the church? You are God's gift to the church. Without your active participation in community, in a, the community of faith, knowing others and being known, you're depriving the body of an important part. You're depriving the body of how God intends to work in you and through you to bring the rest of us to maturity. If it's so crucial, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? As we close, I'd like to quickly point out three and address three main hesitancies or hindrances to deep biblical community. The first hindrance to biblical community is pride. It's pride. Our culture idolizes the self-made individual that doesn't need assistance from anybody else, and we work so hard to not need anything from anybody, don't we? 
Independence is one of our cultural values as Americans. Our country is founded on a declaration of it. So our overly busy lives are often a result of frantically chasing after this ideal in some form or fashion. The common excuse I hear from people about not getting into community is I'm too what? Busy, too busy. But the world is filled with talented, driven people who have reached the pinnacle of success only to find themselves lonely, isolated, and depressed. So pride is one of the hindrances that can keep us from cultivating deep, meaningful relations, relationships. Another hindrance to biblical community is fear. It's fear. All of us, I don't care who you are, all of us have shame and pain in our past, in our stories that can handicap us from fully engaging in relationships. We believe, mistakenly, that if people really knew who, who we are, really knew how messed up we are, then they would reject us. And so we hide our true selves. We wear masks. And we, pr- we pretend that we're okay when we're actually a jumbled mess underneath the smooth veneer, protecting our image and composure. This fear of rejection keeps us isolated in our hurts, isolated in our sin struggles, isolated in our shame, which is exactly where our spiritual enemy wants us. You know, I, uh, my wife and I invest in a group of young adults each year, um, inviting them into a, a deep community. We go through a, a curriculum that I've written called Follow that um, talks about how the, the gospel changes us from the inside out and is meant to flow through us to the lives of others. And each year as I start this group, I ask them two questions. Um, why did you join this group? And what emotions are you experiencing right now? as you've said yes to this. Without fail, here's the answers. The, the dominant reason that people join the group is, I wanted connection. I wanted to be known. I wanted community. There's other reasons, but that's the one that bu- bubbles to the top. In, in answering the second question, what emotions are you feeling having said yes to this and are about to dive in? You know what it is? It's fear. It's fear. I, I really want to be known, but I'm a little bit scared to be known. I'm a little bit scared that if I put my, my sin struggles out there, if people really know who I am, I might be rejected. That's common. So fear can keep us from cultivating deep, meaningful relationships. Thirdly, third hindrance to community is selfishness. Relationships are messy. And like a garden, they require a lot of time and energy to cultivate and maintain. So it's often easier to keep our distance, look the other way, simply avoid engaging deeply with other people. When we selfishly operate in this way, we'll likely succeed in making transactional relationships that we'll never make transformational ones. Because non-transactional relationships require unselfishness. They demand that we look beyond ourselves and selfishly give ourselves to others and open ourselves up to be known, open ourselves up for accountability, open ourselves up to share in somebody's joys and pains. So pride... Fear, selfishness are the three main obstacles to Christ-centered community, which is why we desperately need what? The gospel. The gospel. You know, as you walk out these doors today, you're going to see something plastered on the back wall. How many of you have read it already? What What does it say? We are a... 
Okay, go out and read it afterwards. <laughs> but this is an identity statement, and the first phrase is carefully chosen. It's, just, it's not just slapped up there accidentally. We are a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? It means we make a big deal out of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here at Fellowship Nashville, my primary goal as your pastor is to point you to the gospel each and every week. Not point you to self-help, not point you to pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps, but pointing you to Jesus, who's our only hope. And the good news that comes through him, because we simply can't have community, the community that we so desperately need without the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus is what melts our pride, soothes our fear, and confronts our selfishness. Think about it. The gospel melts our pride. How? By regularly reminding us that we are all what? Broken. We're all broken sinners, imperfect, needy people. We don't have it all together. I, as your pastor, don't have it all together. We can't do it alone. None of us are better than anyone else. We all need Jesus and the help that comes through him through the community of faith. I need you. We need each other. The gospel not only melts our pride by telling us how sinful we are, it also soothes our fear. How? Because it comforts us with the fact that it's okay to not be okay. Despite how messed up we are, we are perfectly loved and accepted in Christ. There's no future version of yourself that God delights in more than who you are right now in Christ. Because when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his perfect son, Jesus. If you've put your faith in what he's done for you, a great exchange has, been, has taken place. Your sin is exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and you are fully loved and accepted. This enables us to take off the mask and engage meaningfully with each other. Oh, you're messed up? Oh, me too. Okay, let's follow Jesus together. The gospel shows us that it's safe to do that. None of us are righteous. No, not one. But we know the righteous one. The gospel melts our pride. It soothes our fear. It also gently confronts or sometimes not so gently, confronts our selfishness because in the gospel we're struck with the reality that Jesus has done what? He sacrificed himself for our sake. He loved us when we were unlovely. He moved towards us while we were still sinners. When this reality sinks in, when it hits the depths of our heart, it begins to change us from the inside out and we become selfless people. Recognizing that we've been loved, we've been given grace, that same grace begins to flow through us as we move towards other people who are broken. Move into their messes and shine the light of the gospel and extend the grace that we've been given to others with that same self-sacrificial love of Jesus. The gospel melts our pride. It soothes our fears. It confronts our selfishness. My friends, there's an epidemic of loneliness in our culture because our culture de desperately needs what we have. The gospel of Jesus Christ. In that 82-page report that I referenced earlier, the Surgeon General gave many ideas for remedying this problem in our culture. You know what was missing? Not surprisingly, Again, this is written from a secular sociological perspective. What was missing was the gospel. 
My friends, the gospel is our only hope. Our culture desperately needs to see the gospel of Jesus lived out in a community. As the worship team makes their way back up to stage, let me land the plane this morning with a couple questions. If you've been just kicking the tires on faith, just kicking the tires on community here at Fellowship Nashville, a little hesitant to dive into meaningful relationships, here's your takeaway today. I want you to ask this question of yourself. Would you commit to being known in community here? If not here, great, but find somewhere else. There's a lot of good communities of faith, good churches here in town. You can throw a rock and hit a church whichever direction you throw it. But get involved. Would you commit to being known in community? If you don't know how, please reach out. Ask us. We'd love to help you plug in and get connected. It'll likely involve a sacrifice of time. It may involve overcoming your pride or your fear or your selfishness. But my friend, your spiritual health depends on living in gospel-formed community. And your emotional health. And your physical health. <laughs> As the Surgeon General can tell you in that 82-page report, if you want to go home and read that. You need it. And we all need you. There are no unimportant parts. You're God's gift to the church. And if you've been at Fellowship Nashville for a while, you're a regular attender, you're a member here, let me challenge you with this question. What would it look like for you to become a creator of community for others rather than just a consumer of it? What would it look like for you to create a 12 space where people are drawn into community together? I love what, Wes, what you're doing with your West Side bros around your fire pit in your backyard. That's, that's creating community, creating a space to draw people in and be known and call them into deeper relationship. Or a three space where people can deepen their relationship with Jesus together. And, and if you're feeling the Spirit nudge you to be a creator of community rather than consumer, but you need ideas, well, guess what? He's given some to be pastors and teachers for the equipping of the body. My job is not to create the community. My job is to equip you to do so, okay? So if you need ideas, I would love, Ryan would love, the rest of our staff team would love to brainstorm with you and equip you to create those spaces for others. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light, that we may declare your praises. And we declare that corporately, God. We know that we can't do it alone. We know that you've called us to be unified as the body of Christ, each lending our gifts and our abilities, our unique talents, everything that you've packaged into every single one of us so that the whole body works together to bring us all to maturity so that we can perfect or more perfectly reflect your character to a watching world that's looking for love in all the wrong places. But Father, if we're dysfunctional, that's gonna reflect on you. And that's why you call us into community. Father, help us. We need it, because <laughs> we are a bit dysfunctional. We're trapped in our pride. We're trapped in our fear. We're stymied by our selfishness. Lord, speak the truth of the gospel deeply into our hearts. Change us from the inside out.
knowing that we're more broken than we thought possible, but more deeply loved in Christ than we ever dared to hope. May that love unselfishly flow through us, we pray. Amen.